Hello and welcome back to It's Symbolic, diving headfirst into the world of cult media without necessarily looking first. I'm Jacob Savage. I'm here. I'm Ben. Now, this is a very special episode because uh, Ben has given We're not covering Clone up. High again. I wish we were covering that. <laughs> yeah, I feel like you might have again. misled them with that with that beginning there. Clone right. High season two. We're the first people to announce it. Yeah, <laughs> very exciting. They, news. they called us up. They loved our episode on the first season. So you guys get the exclusive scoop. Uh, Gandhi definitely dead. Very dead. Uh-huh. <laughs> Stamos is alive though. Oh, good. You you can't kill Stamos. You can't yeah. kill Stamos. He is eternally youthful. Yeah. Sorry, what was the funny joke you were about to make, Jacob? Oh, I mean, I was going to point out that what makes this episode so noteworthy is that Ben has given up. I absolutely gave up. I <laughs> yeah, could not do this. <laughs> yes. We we I just we decided to make them read this time. And... That was already sort of pushing it from the very start. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Never mind. I don't know I... what I don't know what Jacob knows about my attention span, but <laughs> Even though this like, thing's only like twenty pages, one well-constructed sentence is already starting to push it before my mind wavers. <laughs> is that just written, or does it include spoken? I don't know. You'll need to go back over the podcast, the <laughs> podcast archive, to be able to tell all the answers to that. Can you figure out the answer? Anyway, we are talking about the nineteen seventy. Science fiction fantasy novella, The Eye of Argon. The weather-beaten trail wound ahead into the dust-racked climes of the barren land which dominates large portions of the Norgolian Empire. Age-worn hoofprints smothered by the sifting sands of time shone dully against the dust-splattered crust of earth. The tireless sun cast its parching rays of incandescence from overhead, halfway through its daily revolution. Small rodents scampered about, occupying themselves in the... So uh, I don't think you mentioned in advance. How are you going to be handling audio for this one exactly? I, I, I have a friend that's agreed to do narration. Uh, did, I hope you're paying them well. <laughs> I told him that this was essentially just a... It's basically an idea for his next D&D campaign, and that's good enough for him. <laughs> All right, that works. Boy, they're going to be mad at you later, though. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what they get for being friends with me. <laughs> Boy, haven't I learned that? Oh. As, anyway. as I have discovered in particular this week. Yes. Wait, I took... Neither of you have heard of this before? Um, I had, actually. I, like, <laughs> hadn't read it, but I had bookmarked it because I saw a post, like, years ago that was just a collection of, like, things that are considered, like, the worst ever written. Um, Very not, good bedtime reading. Yeah, not necessarily from a perspective of like bad content but like just bad writing and so i was like i'll get around to this one day and then i didn't until just now <laughs> you just look to torture yourself like that 
I mean, yeah. Hmm. Oh my god. So, Y'all need to love yourself more. <laughs> this this was a f- this was fun for me. This was like oh fun to god. read. You're oh forgetting god. the fact that Mir and I are already dead inside. Yeah, it's a good thing I'm here to bring some life to this podcast. Exactly. I mean, it's essentially a bad fan fiction, but it an original work. And yeah, that God knows that that's how much how much time I've wasted on bad fan fiction. We're not even going to humor me by asking me if my familiarity with it exists. <laughs> no, because you were you were complaining this whole week. Yes, of course I was. I mean. Like I've heard the name before. I didn't. I don't think I've even heard the name in any like particularly negative context or anything. It's just like, oh yeah, that is a series of words that I have heard before in my life. <laughs> because otherwise, if I had known even the tiniest bit more context behind this, I would have rejected this episode. <laughs> you would have got on strike. Exactly. Well then, we're glad to have you here, but. We're going to start. That makes one of us. Yeah. We're going to start by taking you back to the 1960s, 1970s, back when science fiction zines were a thing. Are they not now? Not Um, in the same way, I don't think so. Zines are making a comeback. It's mostly, I feel like, fan material nowadays. Yeah, mostly fan material, a lot of time fan art, but. Mm -hmm. There was a lot more. There was a lot of emphasis on written work i -hmm. think that's what kind of formed the foundation of the early star trek fandom was these sort of zines but this particular one came about in 1970 in the magazine os fan the journal of the ozark science fiction society for some reason this particular issue has a giant crocodile on the front i don't Uh, know why good I made it through that much. I saw the crocodile on the front. I was like, oh, maybe this won't be so bad. I mean, it, it the also... The crocodile looks pretty jazzed. At some of the other things that are on the cover, the August 21st issue of the monthly publication of the Ozark Science Fiction Association, If You Love Us, We Will Love You Muchly in Return. Anyone okay. caught gnawing on the zine or its contents will get agnuitis is that some kind of like joke thing i, I don't know spiral like agnu I, I don't know is that like a ligma type thing <laughs> god i hope not <laughs> history repeats itself a bit too often <laughs> doesn't it this particular entry in the zine was submitted by jim tice a science fiction fan from missouri who was 16 at the time of writing and this was a fairly obscure little zine, but it ended up in the hands of author Thomas N. Scorchia, who was a fairly big name among the science fiction community at the time, who sent it to his friend Chelsea Yarbrough, who shared his passion for poor use of language in stories. Oh my god, so they're just shaming this kid. Yeah, but... <laughs> A little bit. A little bit. So sad. But she ended up passing it around, and it made a name for itself among science fiction conventions. 16, though. They're making fun of a 16-year-old. Hmm. 
in a lot of times this was not attached with the author's name. Ah. Who knew at the time who wrote it necessarily? Sure. But God, what a story it is. You can tell that Tice was very big on like the Conan the Barbarian stories at the time. Yeah. Hmm. This was prior to the Schwarzenegger films. So just have these pulp novels to go off of and a lot of similarities show up between them. God, we just have to jump right in, don't we? Yes. I mean, on the plus side of me not having made it through this, I'm hoping to be pleasantly surprised by some choice lines that you all have suggested. Oh, absolutely. Disemboweled mercenary crumpled from his saddle and sank to the clouded sward, sprinkling the parched dust with crimson droplets of escaping life fluid. The enthused barbarian swiveled about, his shock of fiery hair tossing robustly in the humid air currents as he faced the attack of the defeated soldier's fellow-in-arms. "'Damn you, barbarian!' shrieked the soldier as he observed his comrade in death. The Eye of Argon is the story of a barbarian named Grignor. G-R-I-G-N-R. Who is introduced killing a guy like all the best protagonists are? Pretty fucking sick, if you ask me. Mm. Pretty, pretty epic. I liked it the mit- bit about small rodents scampering about, occupying themselves in the daily accomplishments of their dismal lives. <laughs> oh my god. What, what does he have against the rodents? I'm sure they get plenty of satisfaction. Yeah, I mean... I mean, the very first spoken line in the story is, Prepare to embrace your creators in the Stygian halls of hell, barbarian. <laughs> to, which the, to which the response is, Only after you have kissed the fleeting stead of death, wretch. Well, Be- you're really putting your all into actually getting these lines out, huh? God, but... They, don't, they sure don't come out easy. <laughs> you know... As eloquent as barbarians are. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. God, that's true. Gleaming scimitar smote a heavy blow against the renegade's spiked helmet, bringing a heavy cloud over the Ecordian's misting brain. Shaking off the effects of the pounding blow to his head, Grigner brought down his scarlet-streaked edge against the soldier's crudely forged hauberk clanging harmlessly to the left side of his opponent. The soldier's steed whinnied as he directed the horse back from the driving blade. It's very clear what kind of story this is from the start, given that the starters, there's the first instance of attention being drawn to the character's eyes, but not calling them eyes. Instead, they're like orbs. Yeah. I noticed a lot of ovals. Yeah, orbs and ovals. Gardner's yeah. yeah. emerald green orbs. Glared uh. lustfully. <laughs> Normally, anytime I see the word orb, I'm like on board, but somehow they managed to sort of turn me off there, which is yeah. shocking. I like yeah. orbs in general, but I yeah. don't like orbs as eyes. No, eyes are not, that's not a good description. I have no strong opinions on orbs. 
<laughs> Alright then. <laughs> but, I mean, in general, that makes us a pro-orb podcast. Just weighing the numbers out, you know? Shit, do I need to put yeah. that in the description? Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. I think it's important that we state our biases up front. Okay. There's also, this happens more than once in the story where Grignir completely drives his sword to the hilt into a soldier's vital organs. Yeah. And said soldier is then referred to as disemboweled. <laughs> Just... <laughs> It has an interesting vocabulary, and almost none of it is applied correctly. Yeah. But God knows he tried. Mm-hmm. And so does Grignir, this... who after killing a few guys, goes on to the town of Gorzom in search of plunder and wenches. Big, big wench fan. Yep. There is a lot of talk of wenches in this as well. Eyeing a slender female crouched alone at a nearby bench, Grigner advanced, wishing to wholesomely occupy his time. The flickering torches cast weird shafts of luminescence, dancing over the half-naked harlot of his choice, her stringy orchid twines of hair swaying gracefully over the lithe, opaque nose as she raised a half-drained mug to her pale red. Chapter 2, he goes to a tavern where he picks up a wench with particular emphasis brought to her lith-opaque nose. <laughs> and Well, I they, mean, I certainly, I certainly hope so, I guess. Yeah. yeah. They either embrace very closely or just downright bone right there in the bar. It's not very clear. It was the olden days. They can just sort of get nasty wherever. Yeah, just, I mean, they do. Just sort of... Yeah, the tables are said to be clustered with groups of drunken thieves and cutthroats tossing dice or just straight up fucking. Mm-hmm. Well, it's just like, there's already so many fluids coating the floors. <laughs> there's like, so what? much <laughs> emphasis <laughs> as well brought to the wench's sagging nipples. Yeah, which is God. not an image I particularly want to picture. <laughs> but it's fucking like sixteen-year-old core as hell. Oh yeah. God! <laughs> Thou hast need to occupy your time, barbarian. Questioned the female. Only if something worth offering is within my reach, stated Grigner, as his hands crept to embrace the tempting female, who welcomed them with open willingness. From where do you come, barbarian, and by what are you called? Gasped the complying wench, as Grigner smothered her lips with the blazing touch of his flaming mouth. The engrossed titan ignored the queries of the inquisitive. Unfortunately, female. he has picked the wench of choice of the local soldiers, who all of them, apparently, <laughs> one of them, one of them sharing, confronts him. And Grignir kills him. Then they all confront him, and Grignir's forced to surrender. After which, he is brought forward to the local prince, Agafim. Is, is this prince ugly? Is he is he ugly and fat? I couldn't oh. tell. I, I think so. Was... Yeah, I think right. I think probably. I mean, there's right. hmm. there's illustrations say? with the original publication, and yeah. They're pretty it's wonderful. very unclear what's supposed to be which. I don't know. 
who exactly was the artist, Jay Rikosh, I think, but I can't necessarily read the signature. Uh, the one I think is the prince, or is supposed to be the prince, looks like he's smoking a joint, so... I could not connect those dots yet, so I just sort of ignored them. Confronting the group was a short, stocky man, seated upon a golden throne. Tapestries of richly draped, regal blue silk covered all walls of the chamber, while the steps leading to the throne were plated with sparkling white ivory. The man upon the throne had a naked wench seated at each of his arms, and a trusted advisor seated in back of him. At each corner of the chamber, a guard stood at attention, with upraised pikes supported in their hands, golden chain mail adorning their torsos, and barred helmets emitting scarlet plumes enshrouding their heads. The man rose from his throne to the dais surrounding it. His plush turquoise robe dangled loosely from his chunk. But on his advisor's word... He condemns Grignir to a life of labor in the mines. In response, Grignir kills the advisor, who has a very good name, the name Agafund. A-G-A-F-N-D. And before he can kill the prince, he's knocked unconscious. You know, he really didn't even need to name that character. He was, yeah. Like, they have such a minor role, but they were just like, ah, oh, I've got, I've got a fucking million dollar name here. Yeah, I mean, just there's Grignir, there's Agathon, and he also, Grignir also has a battle cry, generally a variation of, by the surly beard of Murfrick. <laughs> M-R-I-F-K. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. Does this has this guy just like read one Thor comic and they were like, yeah, I know like Norse mythology now. <laughs> Where is your wisdom and power now, your majesty? Growled Grigner. The prince went rigid as Grigner discerned him glazing over his shoulder. He swiveled to note the cause of the noble's attention, raised his sword over his head, and prepared to leash a vicious downward cleft but fell short as the haft of a steel-rhymed pike clashed against his unguarded skull. Then blackness and solitude. Silence enshrouding and ever-peaceful reigned supreme. Before me, sirrah! Before me as always! <laughs> this chapter is also the first time that we get the best running gag, which is the word slut. Yeah. Being oh, yeah. used <laughs> to apply to a man. Enough of this. Away with the slut before I lose my control. Yeah, it it's always used against men. And I love and that. He's just, he's really woke, you know? Yeah, he's yeah. really, like, turning this on yeah. its head. <laughs> uh-huh. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, that girl with the sagging nipples, I didn't call her a slut. But you, uh, sir. She's just a wench, but he is a slut. Yes. It's a very distinct difference. I mean, I I'd prefer that than him calling the women sluts, so. True. True. I suppose we should count our blessings, however. Exactly. With, inconsequential with how they the rest of this be. is handled. I think yeah. that that's something that we can at least be thankful for. Yeah. 
Chapter 3, Grignor wakes up in a cell, and he thinks about his homeland. Particularly the sun, which is another orb. So maybe the it sun is an orb. A, yeah. Maybe the, the sun, sun is, is another man. eye in this context. I'm, I'm much more comfortable referring to the sun as an orb than an eyeball. Yeah. Mm. Especially since eyes, like, on your face, they don't look orb-like. No, not in particular. Maybe it's just like, maybe this is a character development thing where it's like he's seen so many ones that have been separated from, <laughs> you know, the base. Everyone's just... Ah, like, oh, to me, no. oh, they might look like circles to you, but they're orbs to me, because I fucking tear them out all the time, ladies. Get a load of me. <laughs> maybe everyone in this universe is just very surprised all the time. <laughs> but those are more oblong, though, if it's... If it's fucking bulging out of their eyes like a cartoon. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, all Holy those shit. around. <laughs> God, when they're just seeing all the sluts, you know? Uh, and Grignor oh mopes for three paragraphs, and that's the end of the chapter. He's, he wishes he could frolic once more. With the wenches. Looting and plundering as he pleases, and he misses the wenches so much. Yep. It's so sad. The naked curves of the body of a trim young wench. I'm sorry, oh a trim gunned wench. Then this we sucks. go on to chapter three and a half. Uh-huh. Cool. <laughs> yeah. That, just gonna let that go right on by, right? Yeah, uh, whatever at this point. <laughs> Chapter three and a half is a pagan ritual with a group of shaman, not shamans, shaman. Shaman or shaman. Yes. They're shaman. They're no longer shaw boys. It's, it's, it's like firemen, <laughs> you know? Circling the marble altar was a congregation of leering shaman. Eerie chants of a bygone age originating unknown eons before the memory of man were being uttered from the buried recesses of the acolyte's deep lings. Orange paint was smeared in generous globules over the tops of the priest's wrinkled, shaven scalps, while golden rings projected from the lobes of their pink ears. Ornate robes of lusher, Purple satin enclosed their bulging torsos. Attached but of course, them. they've kidnapped this pretty, probably nude young woman to be sacrificed. You know it. And it is here that we are introduced to the Eye of Argon, which is... An orb? Is it an orb? A scarlet emerald. How would you describe its shape? Um... Well, it is the eye of a statue, but it's only ever described as a gem. Disappointing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the eye socket is described as obling. Uh, so... Uh -huh. <laughs> um, cool. That's why they uh, worship it. It's the only thing with normal-shaped eyes in this entire <laughs> kingdom. Glaring directly down towards her was the stony, cycloptic face of the bloated deity. Gaping from its single, obling socket was scintillating, many-faceted, scarlet emerald. A brilliant gem, seeming to possess a life all of its own. A priceless gleaming stone, 
capable of domineering the wealth of conquering empires. The Eye of Argon. God, anyway, chapter four. Grigner mopes in his cell some more. And there is a lot of attention given to how he can't tell the passage of time because his needs are changed and the math is off and God, it is a slog. He has slept three times and he had been fed five times since his awakening in the crypt. However, when the actions of the body are restricted, its needs are also affected. The need for nourishment and slumber are directly proportional to the functions the body has performed, meaning that when free and active, Grigner may become hungry every six hours and witness the desire for sleep every fifteen hours, whereas in his present condition he may encounter the need for food every ten hours and the want for rest every twenty hours. However, this monotony is broken up when he is attacked by a rat, a large, one of their, one of their a, large, a large rat, probably taking a break from its dismal life. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so miserable. I want to ruin someone else's day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, but that's how know, I that's how I cheer myself up. <laughs> <laughs> that's how we all cheer ourselves up. God, I wish I wasn't a rat. <laughs> <laughs> or I'm sure he later got success in a 1992 VHS game. Well, no, because this rat gets very disemboweled. And as far as I know, my yeah. beloved rap rat uh, has all of his parts intact. I mean, exactly have you seen rap rat? <laughs> yes. Tell me Everything that thing exactly hasn't be. been stitched together in he's a the, horrifying Frankenstein's monster. Uh, if How could he spit... Mad versus if he didn't have all his parts uh, exactly in the right place. Huh? That's what I fucking thought. <laughs> no, that's the thing. Over, upon resurrection, he gained the ability for Mad versus, and then his life was no longer so dismal. Oh, that's true. All right, you got me there. I accept that this is Rap Rat. Okay, so... Have we talked about Rap Rat on here before? Because God, we need so, to. Within 20 episodes, we... mentioning Rap Rat more than once is just, like, untenable. Yeah, we've, unacceptable. We've, we've never mentioned Rap Rat somehow. We God. haven't? I thought we have. I don't no, We haven't. So. We have not. Trust me. We have not. <laughs> okay, that's a relief. I must get this conflated with all the other daily Rap Rat conversations <laughs> I have. Yeah, I... <laughs> Semi-frequently tweet about Rap Rat. <laughs> I don't, actually, I was just thinking about it earlier. I was just I'm sorry like, to hear that. <laughs> I was like walking down the street on my way to class this what morning. What if a rat would have just come out of that manhole and told me I lost a turn? I don't know what I do. <laughs> and I was like, Rap lose Rat. A turn, I guess. <laughs> I guess I lose a turn because I just gotta learn. Anyways, can we move on? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Grigmir decapitates Rap Rat with his bare hands. What 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 weight would you say this has on the rest of the story? I mean, given that there is more attention given to the ensuing gore than in your average early 2000s Flash cartoon? Yeah. Well, it's probably the same audience creating it, pretty much. <sighs> this is the Newgrounds Flash cartoon of the 70s. God. Yeah, teen boys. With a loud crack, the rodent's head parted from its squirming torso sending out a sprinkling shower of crimson gore and trailing a slimy string of disjointed vertebrae, snapped trachea, 
esophagus and jugular, disjointed hyoid bone, morose purpled stretched hide, and blood-seared muscles. Remember, he gets a plan will be involving boys. the corpse of the rat. So he decides to dismember it, and we get even more details. Love it. Great. Groping his way along the rough floor, Grigner finally found his tool in a pool of congealed gore. The carcass of the decapitated rodent. The tool that the very filth he had been sentenced to spawned. When the time came for action, he would have to be prepared. So he set himself to rending the sticky hulk in grim silence, searching by the touch of his fingertips for the lever to Chapter freedom. five, we continue with the ritual. So the priest orders... I'm glad that we had, I'm glad that we had like that tangent for a minute. Yeah. To sort of, you know, spice things up a bit. <laughs> Mm-hmm. The priest orders the girl to get up on the altar. She refuses, and he tries to sexually assault her. Cool. Yeah, love it. And she responds by vomiting on him. Also cool. Cool. Great. So then he <laughs> decides great. to choke her. Cool. Uh, awesome. And then she... Got, I, I need to read this out loud the girl gasped a tortured groan from her clamped lungs her sea blue eyes bulging forth from damp sockets cocking cocking her right foot backwards she leashed it desperately outwards with the strength of a demon possessed lodging her sandaled foot squarely between the shaman's testicles damn that's some precision (laughs) yeah between (laughs) the testicles between holy shit yes threading the needle And then we get two paragraphs of the priest's reaction to this. <laughs> and he's just writhing in pain. The startled priest released his crushing grip, crimping his body over at the waist, overlooking his recessed belly, wide open in a deep chasm. His face flushed to a rose-red shade of crimson, Eyelids fluttering wide with eyeballs protruding blindly outwards from their sockets to their outmost perimeters, while his lips quivered wildly about, allowing an agonized wallow to gust forth as his breath billowed from burning lungs. His hands reached out, clutching his urinary gland, as his knees wobbled rapidly about for a few seconds, then buckled, causing the ruptured shaman to collapse in an egg-huddled mass to the granite pavement, rolling helplessly about in his... I mean, like, he's 16. This is, like, the most sheer emotion he's ever known in his life. (laughs) Getting kicked in the nuts. Between the nuts. Between the nuts, excuse me. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, she doesn't escape, unfortunately. And then we go back to Grignor in Chapter 6. Uh, about time, I was really missing him. <laughs> yeah. Er, the soldiers take him out to be moved elsewhere into a far deeper hellhole. However, this is where I stopped and gave up, and I haven't read anything past this point. So this is all new to me. I, dear listener, am hearing all this for the first time along with you. It's like Mir anytime we cover a video game. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that, that's fair. After the two 
paragraphs of nut torture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I it's was not going to get any better than this. We've hit our high point, folks. <laughs> there you go. And fucking like rat torture porn. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's there's no that's... further rat torture if I'm remembering right. I read this oh, good, like I, was... I read this like a couple hours ago. I was really eager to get back to it, but that was the only <laughs> thing stopping me. <laughs> uh, yeah, as it turns out, Grigner has fashioned the pelvis of the rat into a dagger, with which he slits a soldier's throat uh-huh. and then strangles okay. the other. I don't know why you couldn't just strangle them both. but Or slash their, both their throats. Erwig grasped Grigner's left wrist and reached for the barbarian's right wrist. Grigner wrenched his right arm free and swiveled to face Broig. Reach beneath his loincloth with his right hand. The sentry grappled at his girdle for the sheathed dagger, but recoiled short of his intentions as Grigner's right arm swept to his He was hiding- also he was hiding that rat pelvis, um, in his loincloth somehow. I really don't like the combination of rat pelvis and loincloth here. Well, it's not- the thing is, Tice really clearly of... confused loincloth with g-string. Yeah, he calls uh, it a g-string at one point. Uh, don't like that. <laughs> I'm really glad I stopped, actually. The hottest fantasy series of the 90s. Holy shit. Rising to his feet, Grigner shook the blood from his eyes, ruffling his surly mane as a brush fire swaying to the nighttime breeze. Stooping over the sprawled corpse of the first soldier, Grigner retrieved a small white object from a pool of congealing gore. Snorting a gusty billow of mirth, he once more concealed the tiny object beneath his loincloth. The tediously honed pelvis bone of the broken road. He wanders the catacombs. Nearly gets killed by a booby trap, spends a good amount of time resetting the booby trap before hearing a cry for help. He finds a trap door and opens it to find this ritual. The scream contained a strangely human quality, unlike that which Grigner imagined would come from the lungs of a demon or spirit, making Grigner take short, nervous strides advancing to the sarcophagus from which the sound was issuing, clenching his teeth in an attempt to steal his jangled nerves. Grigner slid the engraved slab from the vault with a sharp rasp of grind. Literally, as soon as he walks into a room, one of the priests just suffers a seizure and falls (laughs) on the ground. Just with no warning or anything. Yes, it just happens. I mean, I guess it just happens, so... Maybe something they, they, about him barging in uh, triggered his <laughs> epilepsy. <laughs> oh, jeez. I shouldn't have hooked up the strobe light to the front oh. door. <laughs> it was for the surprise party we were going to have. I thought I was so clever. <laughs> in that case, why'd I hook up a strobe light in the first place if I knew I had, epsil- I knew I had epilepsy? A gaunt, skull-faced priest standing at the far side of the altar clutched desperately at his throat, coughing furiously in an attempt to catch his breath. 
lurching helplessly to and fro, the acolyte pitched headlong against the gleaming base of a massive jade idol. Writhing agonizedly against the hideous image, foam flecking from his chalk-white lips, the priest struggled helplessly. The victim of an epileptic seizure. Clearly, these shaman have a lot to learn. <laughs> well, they're not going to get the chance to learn. Gregnir just cuts through the rest of them with an axe he stole. And then he just goes up to the statue, thinks, I'm going to take this, and steals the gems. <laughs> now, the woman that was part of the ritual turns out to be the same woman from the tavern named Carthenia. And Small world. Yeah. All you need to know about Carthenia is that she is described as speaking bustily. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's... <laughs> she... Breasted boobily. <laughs> it's exactly that tweet. <laughs> that is that she breasted boobily down the stairs. <laughs> oh my fucking god. Oh yeah, I don't think we mentioned that to get down here, uh, Grigner desecrates a corpse... He's desecrated everything else in this novella. Yeah, Why yeah. Not of course, huh? He comes upon, like, the, um, burial chamber of the royal whatevers, and thinks the screaming is coming from one of the sarcophagi, rips it open, finds- To you! Dead guys! Stop screaming! <laughs> finds a corpse, and then realizes it's not coming from the corpse, actually. It's coming from below it. I'm sure this came after, like, five minutes of shaking the corpse, asking what was wrong. <laughs> anyway, God. Parthenia and Grignir depart. Chapter 7, the priest that suffered an epileptic fit just recovers. <laughs> it takes time. Yeah. And then he just gets a sword and follows them. This chapter is one paragraph long. <laughs> Which brings us directly into chapter seven and a half. How? Oh my god. <laughs> so, the priest tries to kill Grignir, but is immediately killed by the reset booby trap. <laughs> Knew that would come in handy. <laughs> yeah. As they wander the halls, Carthenia That's reveals... Called... It's called Chekhov's gun. <laughs> <laughs> it's called Chekhov's booby trap. It's called Chekhov's booby trap, and it shows that he's a good writer. Yep. Mm-hmm. The only boobies he pays attention to aren't necessarily on the women. Aye. I'm nice. sorry, that was bad. <laughs> Good that one. Was bad. That was well, very bad. That's okay. I feel like a worse person for saying you can, that. You can say whatever you want in this episode, and due to this material we're covering, you'll always come out looking good. So, <laughs> just get it all out today. Suddenly, a sharp snap resounded behind the frothing shaman. The scimitar, halfway through its fatal sweep, dropped from a quivering, nerveless hand, clattering harmlessly to the stone edge. Cutting his screech short with a bubbling, red-mouthed gurgle, the lacerated acolyte staggered under the pressure of the released springboard. After a moment of hopeless struggling, the shaman buckled sprawling face down in a widening pool of blood and entrails, his regal purple robe blending enhancingly 
with the swirling streams of crimson. Carthenia talks to Grignir about the prince, Agafim, who not only condemned him to the mines, but kept her as a slave, so she knows the halls. So they go to the main hall, and they kill Agafim, and they also kill Agafind again. He, he uh, got better, I guess. <laughs> Glad to hear it. Yeah. Grigner gasped as he observed the bisected face set in its leering death agonies. It was Agafind. The dead man's comrade, having recovered from his shock, drew a jewel-encrusted dagger from beneath the folds of his robe and lunged toward the barbarian's back. Grigner spun at the sound from behind and smashed down his crimsoned axe once more. His antagonist lunged, howling to a stream of stagnant green water, grasping a spouting stump that had once been a Then they leave the temple, palace, whatever. Grigner decides, you know what? This is a great time to look at this cool gem that I just got. As soon as it's exposed to the sunlight, it melts and turns into a giant blob with a leech-like mouth. Uh, Alright. Cool. It begins to attack him and suck his blood. Carthenia faints. Grignir, who's beginning to faint himself, grabs a torch from somewhere and shoves it into the blob's mouth. No, I think he and had... this is where mo- this is where most versions of the story end. In final desperation, Grigner grasped the smoldering torch upon the ground and plunged it into the reeking maw of the travesty. A shudder passed through the thing. Grigner felt the blackness closing upon his eyes, but held on with the last ebb of his rapidly waning vitality. He could feel its grip lessening as a hideous gurgling sound erupted from the writhing maw. The jelly-like mass began to bubble like a vat of boiling tar as quivers passed up and down its entire... Suspense. Yes, for years. This is all we had. I mean, good. I would happily take that. It can can end mid-sentence, and I'd be like, cool, glad that's over with. Mm Mm-hmm. However, in January 2005, a copy of the original zine was found. Wow. Where the blob explodes into a thousand pieces, leaving nothing except for a dark red blotch upon the face of the earth, blotching things up. (laughs) Worth the wait. Good job, guys. And Grignir and Carthenia ride off into the distance. And Long leave the king. Yes, that's how it ends. It ends with that sentence. Long leave the king. Jesus Christ. And the missing page also informs us that the story was winner of the J.T. Rickosh Award for Excellence. Oh, good. Good for it. Awesome. Yeah. With Great. With a sloshing plop, the thing fell to the ground, evaporating in a thick scarlet cloud until it reattained its original size. It remained thus for a moment as the puckered maw took the shape of a protruding red eyeball, the pupil of which seemed to unravel before it the tale of creation. 
how a shapeless mass slithered from the quagmires of the stigmatic pool of time, only to degenerate into a leprosy of avaricious lust. In that fleeting moment, the grim mystery of life was revealed before Grigner's ensnared gaze. As I said, this story spread among science fiction conventions. Particularly around the 1990s, they would start doing charity events where they would read it out loud and the audience would bid either to stop the passage or continue. Sometimes with other members of the audience going up to act out the scenes. Oh my god. There's also another popular party game wherein you read the Eye of Argon out loud, completely straight-faced, without laughing. Popular party game, you say, huh? Yes. If you laugh, you have to pass it to the next person. I would fail immediately. Yes, the biggest challenge is to do it after inhaling helium. Oh my god. Making it through three quarters of a page is considered to be extremely good. But, yeah, Jim Thice was 16. (sighs) Yeah, he did appear on a talk show where he stated that he was kind of hurt that something that he had written several years before him was being mocked so heavily and that he would never write anything again. Aww. Mm-hmm. However, he was <laughs> said to be a good enough sport to participate in readings at some cons. Hmm. Uh, uh, mocking a kid like that still. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. They didn't say his age in the zine, but... That's true. That's true. I actually found a an interview that the same zine did with him a couple issues later. Oh? He blamed it partially on the editing that it underwent, and admitted also that it's not great. <laughs> I basically don't know much about structure or composition. <laughs> hmm, go figure. Yeah, he did get a journalism degree, so good for him. He did say at one point that he was going to rewrite the Eye of Argon to be more polished and cleaned up. Fortunately, he never did, and he died uh, in March of 2002. Oh, jeez. He was only 48. Yeah, Yeah. I I don't know why. It's not a particularly uncommon name, so... Anyway, the story has lasted... There are listings of editions being published in 1987 and 1995. Then in 2006, it was published as a paperback. Wow. Great gift for any loved ones. Yes. I mean, I don't know what to say about the lasting impact, really. This is the shags all over again. I'm not, I don't think I'm really going to be turning around on this one necessarily. (laughs) Yeah. I just feel like. There's some level of <laughs> irresponsibility both in uh, having this go through the, the, the quality filtering process to get published and in passing it around. Yeah, it's, it's a bit more understandable when you keep in mind that the author wasn't necessarily known. Sure. But yeah. it's harsher <laughs> in retrospect. I, I don't know. There's just something about poor quality that draws people. Yeah. Like Mir said at the top of the episode, she found this on a list of bad writing. 
Yeah. So there is an audience. Oh, God. I, I, I certainly know there's an audience for poorly written fiction. Mm. You're not going to grace us with a name? Oh, no, no, no. I'm just saying, like, if, if you look, <laughs> like, at what... No, 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 no. I'm saying, like, if you look at, like, whatever, like, fanfiction TXT accounts or whatever on Twitter, stuff that'll post little bits from, you know, quote-unquote poorly written writing, I think that that's definitely... With the ability for anyone's writing to have such visibility nowadays, you see a lot more of that. So I don't really yeah. know if something could... I was going to say I don't know if something could necessarily reach that level of, infam like of infamy, but you have My Immortal. So. I, I was going to say, this has been described as the My Immortal of its time. But there's haven't, there hasn't really been anything since. I feel like My Immortal was kind of in the relative infancy of, uh, I guess, like, large-scale fanfiction distribution online. Yeah, I mean, you can find some if you know where to look, but that's definitely the most widespread example. A lot more yeah. are, a lot more that I've seen are more niche and relative to their respective fandom. Yeah. I I'm sure at least every fandom has at least one cursed fanfiction or whatever they want to call it. You can't see it, but I'm grinning, uh, knowingly. <laughs> I don't think I would get it anyway. I, I think I know exactly which one you're talking about. I, exact, I think I know which one you're thinking about, and I hate myself for it. I have, I'm totally ignorant. I've never read that. it, but... I'm actually kinda thinking about a couple things. <laughs> oh dear. To be honest. I mean... Let's be honest, I've probably shared some with you. Yeah, we've read a few bad fics over the years. God. But at least this one stands out by being bad original fiction, even if everything was stolen from Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. Uh. Mounting one of the disgruntled mares and leading the other, the weary, scarred barbarian trooted slowly off into the horizon to become a tiny pinpoint in a filtered file of swirling blue mists, leaving the nobles, soldiers, and peasants to replace the missing monarch. Long leave the king! It's like, yeah, it's charmingly bad, kinda. Kind That's of. That's the best way to... Not sure if I'm sold, considering I couldn't make it through. <laughs> Maybe if I had more time and patience. I don't really think but that's like, a thing that you can necessarily get offhand, so. In the middle of the work day, when I've had the feeling of, like, I should really be getting other things accomplished, trying to make my way through this really set in that feeling of, what am I doing with my time? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what you're doing with your time. Sure is. Uh -huh. And this is what you, the listener, are doing with your time. <laughs> Don't put it like that. <laughs> I, don't, uh, uh, I, I don't know I, how You say that because there's no better use of your time. So please continue listening. Yes. With Ben, that's what he was doing with his time out of a sense of poorly placed obligation. Exactly. You, it's with necessity. Anyway, thank you for listening to It's Symbolic. If you want to grant your sympathies to Ben for having to go through this. I don't, need it. I don't this. want it. <laughs> I don't even want to fucking hear it. 
This is all behind <laughs> me now. All right. So is is that official? Never contact Ben about the Eye of Argon. Yeah, obviously. Why would you try to piss me off like that? It's a literature non grata. Anyway, we have a Twitter at It's Symbolic PC, and you can contact us through email at It's Symbolic Podcast at gmail.com. If you want to see some of the bizarre ways that this has just persisted, we have an Instagram at It's Symbolic Podcast. I want to give a special thank you to Rob DeLeo for providing the narration for Transitions. And however you're listening, be it through iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, whatever, leave a rating and review. It helps more than you think. Like, comment, and subscribe. Nothing, huh? Nothing? Yes. I do a I'm tired. You- <laughs> I-, I do a funny YouTube joke. and Uh, I guess I missed it. I don't. I caught it. I just didn't want to dignify it. I don't follow. I don't follow <laughs> that, YouTube. That's fair. That's fair. I'm Jacob. I'm here. I'm Ben. Join us next time when I don't even know how to go into this one. It's just the most uncomfortable I've ever felt doing Golden Age animation research. That sounds like it's saying something. Yeah, it kind of is. Yeah. I mean, I feel like. I'm not the best equipped to comment on that. Mira, can you can you say what this must supersede then? Can you give some examples? Um And there's all those infamous cartoons. There's the Censored Eleven, there's the Nazi Donald Duck one that everyone mis- misinterprets. Yeah. That that one won an Oscar. Yeah, that it's a good short. Everyone just <laughs> sees the He's, Donald is so misunderstood, you know? He is. Mm-hmm. I have a lot of feelings about this. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. We all know. We're trying to end, so let's not get me yes, started. <laughs> or we could just fade out while you start. I'm forgetting you. I shall teach those sluts the meaning of humility!